Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. The scripture this morning is Acts 10, 44 through 48. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. Those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that they should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Would you open God's book, please, to Acts chapter 10 now? And if you want an outline of the sermon, well, you can have it by leaving that passage open on your lap. Acts, the 10th chapter. And if you can't see a Bible, may I encourage you to get close to somebody who has one. If you have your, your cell phone or your iPad or your hard copy, it's important that you can see a, a copy of the Word of God. Now, this, this a stage that I'm standing on here is about to be transformed and Cindy reminded me this morning when we were getting ready to go that next Sunday I would be preaching from the floor because that's how it is on the first day of Family Bible Week. It's going to be just great and I just uh, can't wait. Now, the theme for this year's Family Bible Week is the Gospel Train and we're going to be talking about four of the conversion examples in the book of Acts to prepare for that. I've been preaching a short series on those conversions. And let's just, let's just take a minute and run through some bullet points of the first two. The first one is from Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch. And we learn from that, and I won't replow the ground, but if you want to review those sermons, they're on the archives in the, um, on our website, and you can listen to them. We should start where a man is when we're teaching him. And that's what Philip did. He started the same passage of Scripture, and he taught the Ethiopian, and that baptism involves going down into the water, and that baptism is immersion, and we learned that when we talked about the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, we go to Acts chapter 9, and Saul, what are bullet points about Saul? A man made to be devoutly religious and still be lost. Two, prayer and repentance alone will not save a man. And three, sins are, and I quote, washed away when we're baptized. And now we come to the next chapter. We come to the conversion of the, the man, uh, the Gentile called Cornelius. Now, the way I want to do this sermon is we'll start with some obvious things. Then we'll start, we'll, we'll go to some things that are not so obvious. And then I want to make some observations about Cornelius and the conversion of Cornelius. Let's start in Acts chapter 10. I want to begin reading in verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. Cornelius is a Latin word, and he's a Roman, he's a Gentile. A centurion, a centurion is a military leader over a hundred men, of what was called the Italian regiment, or band. King James says band. And I understand that we've got then several centurions serving together, and you'd have five or six hundred soldiers in a regiment. A devout man, now this is important, verse 2 describes him. 
He's not a Christian. He's not saved. But look at the description. A devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. And alms, of course, are benevolent things that you would do for others. And the description of Cornelius is very impressive. And he prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision. Stop. In a vision. See, this is a communication from God. So God communicated in different ways to people. And this is, this is what happened here. And it's important in my Bible, I've underlined the word clearly. Clearly, not ambiguous, not mysterious. It was some clear communication to Cornelius. He saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. The word memorial means something remembered. It's that, it's that God paid attention to you doing this, and now he remembers it. And now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. One of the observations we made last week or the week before was that God communicates through men. What he would do to teach people the gospel is to not speak directly to the person, but he would, he would send somebody. And so that's a typical way this was handled. So you send men to Joppa and get Simon Peter. Verse 6, he's lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He will tell you what you must do. Now stop at that word must. In my Bible, I've, I've underlined that. That's the same word that's used in Acts chapter 9 about Ananias converting Saul. That, that he will, t- you, Jesus said to Saul, you go on into the city and Ananias will come there and etc. And he will tell you what, he will give you the words. He will tell you what you must do. Well, now you have it here. He will tell you what you must do. Now that's very interesting because you could at this point just draw a line from that verse over to the last verse of this chapter where Peter's going to command something of Cornelius, and you could say, well, that's what he must do. There you go. That's it. And when, verse 7, when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. And when he explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. So he, he sends them out. Now, stop right there, and we've got to change the scene. We're going to see now about Peter. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near to the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. I want to emphasize again that this is, don't don't take this as mysterious or bizarre. It's not. He's going to have communication, but it's going to be exceedingly clear from from the Holy Spirit. He saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And the voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord. I have never eaten anything that's common or unclean. Now, see, this is his Jewish upbringing because so many of the animals were ceremonially unclean. And he said, I just can't do this. I will not do this. It's kind of interesting, really, because Peter's a Christian now. He's not to practice the law of Moses. He's practicing Christianity. But he still has a lot of the Jewish law in him. 
And he says, I'm not going to do that. Never, never has anything like that come through these lips. I'm not going to eat those things, Lord, because they're unclean. He thought he was defending the truth. The voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, while Peter wondered within himself, so he's sitting there on the housetop, wondering what this all means. Behold, the men who had come sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. So they're down there outside, outside the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, who was also named Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the, the animals, the unclean animals and what God has cleansed, don't you call unclean, the Spirit said to him, stop a second, I've underlined the words the Spirit here. Because I, th- I think that we're, yeah, I, I, we're having a class right now on Wednesday nights that's uh, so far, by and large, about the Holy Spirit and the way uh, the Holy Spirit communicated. Now, you've got to get this. The Holy Spirit didn't communicate in just, just feelings or nudges. He communicated in words. It was always in words. And the Holy Spirit is God. Follow me. I'm in verse 19. The Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Who's talking? The Holy Spirit's talking. These are words. It's clear. It's articulate. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Who sent them? The Holy Spirit sent them. The Holy Spirit says, I have sent them. And I want you to go down and don't be doubting when you do. So that's what Peter does. And he gets to the gate. He lets them in. And they say, we came from Cornelius. And they play the whole thing out. And when we came to fetch you, we want you to come with us. And so the next morning, they they make a beeline and go to the house of Cornelius. When they come, Cornelius bows before Peter. I just, I just... I'm so glad that you came. I have my family here, my kinspeople, and we want to hear all the things commanded you by God. And Peter begins to preach. He preaches about Jesus. He preaches that Jesus is the Son of God. He preaches about the miracles that Jesus did. And he said, and we saw them ourselves. We saw these things. And he was taken and he was crucified, but he rose from the dead the third day, and we were witnesses of that. And so Peter develops all about Christ, about Jesus, and, and, and the Holy Spirit then interrupts him. And the house of Cornelius and Cornelius have the gift of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And now they begin to speak in tongues. Now, stop there, and I'm not going to go far into this, but I just want to make the observation. The reason why this happened, and it happened before they became Christians... It's because Peter wasn't about to to baptize people who were Gentiles. He still was confused about that. At least what we have to do is make them Jews first as a precursor, and then let's make Christians of them. That's not how the gospel was going to be. And Peter has to figure it out. And so God is orchestrating this to make that happen. Now he did something, God did something big here. God the Spirit did something big here. And what he does is to give miraculous ability to these Gentiles while they're listening to the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached by Peter. And when they start speaking in tongues, and it's obvious that God has given his stamp of approval on these Gentiles, Peter turns to those other Jews standing with him, and he says, can any forbid water? That's interesting terminology, isn't it? 
Because that's what they would have done. What they would have done is to say, nothing doing. You're not going to baptize Gentiles. And so he phrased it like this. Peter said, can anybody forbid water that these should not be baptized to have received the Holy Ghost like we have? It's a, it's a sign from God that Gentiles are to be Christians. And the Bible says, then as we close this chapter, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, what's Cornelius supposed to do? He's supposed to get Peter, bring Peter, and listen to what he says. And Peter's going to tell them, Cornelius and his house, what they must do. What did Peter tell them to do? The answer is he told them to be baptized, to have their sins washed away. Now, you get to chapter 11, and you're going to have kind of a retelling of this. There's a couple of details that you pick up in 11 that are very important, and I'll talk about those in a minute. But Peter gets back to Jerusalem, and the the Jewish Christians there say, you baptized a what? A Gentile man. You're you're not serious. You, You went in among the Gentiles? Yeah. Why? And then he plays it out. He explains all the whole thing. All right. So there's some obvious observations that you get when you read the chapter. Now, number two, let's talk about the things that are not so obvious. And the first one is this. Here you have a devoutly religious, praying, humble man who's not saved. I know that seems sort of shocking. When you look at the description the Holy Spirit gave of Cornelius. He, he is a devout man, one that fears God with all his house. It kind of sounds a little bit like the qualifications for elders in 1 Timothy 3. He, he prays and he serves God with all his house and he fears God and he's benevolent. He gives alms to the people and his servants are going to say, you know what? He's got a good reputation among all the Jews. He's a good man. How many negative things do you see in the first part of Acts 10. How many negative things about Cornelius? None. But, but turn the page now to chapter 11, verse 13. You, ought to, you probably ought to underline this. And the angel told us how he had seen, an, I'm sorry, he told us how he had seen an angel in his house who stood and said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and your household all your household will be saved. Okay, put, put, put it together. So you have, here you have the description in verse 1 of Cornelius. And he's a great man. He fears God. He gives alms. He prays to God always. And then you go over to chapter 11 and verse 14. And that the reason you call Cor, uh, Peter to the house of Cornelius is so that Peter can tell you words how you and your house can be saved. Now you don't need to be saved if you're already saved. Only people who need to be saved are people who are lost. Here's a man, Cornelius. He's a, he's a righteous man in so many ways. And yet he's still lost. Now, the second thing that doesn't quickly meet the eye is that in this description, this narrative, you have two men who are really being highlighted, Cornelius and Peter. And Cornelius is the lost man for whom nothing is said that is ill. Nothing is said that's negative. And then you have Peter, who is a saved man, and he's the one who really needs an attitude adjustment. Now, I'm not saying that, that Peter's not saved and that Cornelius was. It's the opposite way. Cornelius is lost. He needs to be saved. The, the point, though, is that, the point is that, that God had some plan here. The purpose was to help the 
Christians, the Jewish Christians, to start converting the Gentiles. And, and Cornelius is perfect for this. You know, if, if God had picked a Gentile who was some old scallywag, some old sorry fellow off the street that lived a terrible and wicked life, and then said, let's use him as the first one to get Peter to baptize a Gentile, it wouldn't have worked. But in this case, it's really hard. You look at this man, and he wants to please God something awful. He's so eager that when Peter gets to his house, Cornelius bows down before Peter. Tell us words. We want to know what's commanded you of God. All right. Now let's make some observations. Number one, it isn't wrong for you and me to admire the godly good qualities of of people who are outside of Christ. I'm telling you the Holy Spirit did here. He did. To a man who needed to be saved, and the Holy Spirit says he was a man who feared God, prayed to God always, gave alms to the people, and with his whole family. It's not wrong for us to admire. I'm telling you right around my house, we've got neighbors that are wonderful, not members of the church, haven't obeyed the gospel, but wonderful people who have great qualities. And it's not wrong for us to admire those qualities. I would argue the Holy Spirit did that. When does it become wrong? When would it become wrong? It would become wrong if you, if you started figuring or expressing or implying in some way that because they have good qualities that they're going to heaven because that's not right. Yeah, that, would, that would be inconsistent with Acts chapters 10 and 11 about Cornelius because he's, he's the one we're talking about in this conversion example. And the fact is, he is that man who has all these good qualities, and yet the Bible says he needs, he needs to be saved. What I must do is to admire those people's qualities while remembering that I need to teach them the gospel because they're not saved. Outside of Christ, a person's not saved, and that's the case with Cornelius. And we can't get that confused. But we, can't, we can't misunderstand that. Now, here's the second thing, is that the denominational idea, and we've talked at length about the concept of denominationalism and how the church of the New Testament is not a denomination at all, at all and why that's true. And if you want to work on that, it's in the archives in the recent recordings, and you can listen to that discussion. But the denominational idea that just so long as a person is religious and sincere, that he's saved is not true. Cornelius, no one would deny, Cornelius was very religious, and he was very sincere, and I've got that on good authority, because that's what the Holy Spirit said, right? And yet it needs to be saved. Galatians 6 and 7 says, don't be deceived, God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. He that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. In other words, there's a line. There's a line that's drawn between those who are saved and those who are lost, and I've got to get that clear. I've got to keep that clear in my mind. And the warning in that passage is, don't mock God about this. Who do you reckon does that? I think it's preachers. Who, who, who is it that mocks God about about who's saved and who's lost. It's preachers. It's preachers in funeral sermons. Many times in my life, and I I suppose I've conducted, I don't know how many funerals I've conducted in my life, a a number of them. And, And sometimes I've been called upon to conduct a funeral service for someone who's not a Christian. I, um, I, in my life, it's not been so terribly uncommon 
to have a funeral director call and say, could you conduct this funeral, Glenn, because this family doesn't have a preacher. They're, they're not close to any, they're not religious, and they don't have a preacher, and the loved one has died, and we need a preacher. Can you do it? My answer is always, sure, sure I will, because there's a connection. You know, maybe I can make friends with them in their time of, of heartbreak, and that, you know, who knows what could happen with that. So I, I go, but now here's the, here's the way that Paul and I have talked about this a lot. Here, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to talk to that family and get to know about this deceased person's life, and I'm going to get up and I'm going to brag about him, and I'm going to say he loved his family, he loved his children, he was dedicated as a husband to his wife, and he was good in the community, and he was involved involved in the Rotary Club, and they did wonderful things. And I'm going to say every nice thing I can about that man to try to give that family comfort. But let me tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to say, and now he's in a better place. Because I cannot say that. He's outside of Christ. And if, if we could have been morally good, and and if we could have been like Cornelius even, and been saved, and why did we need the cross? Why did we need the cross? God could have just said, I want you to be good moral people and good family men and good, be good socially and all that stuff, and that would have done it, but it didn't do it, and it won't do it. And sometimes you go to a funeral, and, and I know that the deceased is not a Christian. I know that. There's no hope outside of Christ, and you'll have a preacher to get up, and, and he will send that person right to heaven as if he has any influence over that. He does not. But what he did was to mock God. Galatians 6, 7, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. You've got to sow to the Spirit to reap everlasting life. And if you don't, there's no hope there. There's no hope. I want to observe from the conversion of Cornelius, number one, is that it's not wrong for me to admire the good qualities of people who are outside of Christ who are not saved. I, I am so thankful to have those. What would, you, what would you think Huntsville, Alabama would be like without those people? I'm telling you, there's a ton of those people in this, this city, and I'm thankful for them. It makes life better. There are lots of people in this county who, who are influenced by Christ and by Christians and by Christianity who are not Christians themselves. Is that a true statement? And I'm thankful for that. I, and and I, I just need to keep this clear in my head. The fact that I love them and I appreciate those good qualities cannot translate into me saying, so they must be going to go to heaven. Excuse me, but that mocks God. And I cannot say that. What I could say is, I love him and, and aren't you thankful for them? And the denominational concept that so long as you're sincere and religious that you're going to heaven is not what the Bible teaches. And here's a man, Cornelius, who's just the the poster child for this discussion because all these descriptions were from the Holy Spirit. But when you get to chapter 11 and verse 14, here's the statement. You get Peter because he will tell you words by which you and your house shall be saved. All right, number three. It proves the huge significance. This may be a little bit redundant, but huge significance of belief in baptism. It is, it is just huge. When you think about Noah's ark and the difference between people who, who drowned that day or that during the, the flood, people who were saved, eight souls were saved by water. What was the difference? And the, the difference is getting on that ark. God's salvation was on that ark. And I want you to think about the plank of that boat. You got to climb up on, 
on that plank and get in the boat and let the boat represent the Lord's body, that's the, 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 the saved, the church. And let, what would the plank be? And the plank would be baptism. You know, there's a lot of people who, who believe themselves to be saved but struggle to tell you when they were saved because it's kind of just a, an evolutionary process, you know. I don't know. I, I believe in Jesus. Every person in your New Testament converted to Christ and obeyed the gospel, every single one of them could tell you when they were saved, the moment at which they became saved. And the reason is because there was no ambiguity, and there is no ambiguity in the New Testament. Read the book of Acts. I'm telling you, there's no ambiguity about the fact that it's when you come up out of that water of baptism. That's when you are a saved person. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. And Romans chapter 6 says that when we're buried with him by baptism into death, that we come up out of that water. Are you ready for this? To walk in newness of life. You wouldn't say that about a man who was saved before he was baptized because his new life starts now. And this same Peter who teaches Cornelius is the one who penned these words in 1 Peter 3 and 21, the like figure whereunto baptism doth also now save us. It's huge. I didn't make it this way, but I can tell you that's how it is. The significance of belief in baptism to be in Christ is just overwhelmingly true in the New Testament. In fact, Romans 6 says, beginning in verse 3, that we are baptized into Christ and we're baptized into his death. One more observation. And that is, and I, I cannot, I must not do a sort of profiling in deciding who I'll teach about Jesus. I, I see, but that's what was, what was happening with, with Peter. Peter was, was not going to teach a Gentile man had it not been the fact for the fact that the Holy Spirit pushed him to do this, he would not have done it. He was not going to do this. And, and you have this rather dramatic illustration about the sheet let down with all the, the unclean animals. And Peter says, no, 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 I will not. And what God has cleansed, don't you call unclean. It wasn't really about animals. It was about people. It was about Gentiles. And God wanted them in his church. Is there anybody you don't want to teach? Any group of people? Do you judge that by groups of people? Maybe economic level, maybe nationality, maybe color, maybe something. You know, I just better guard against that. You Don't you let the Lord see you be like that. Don't you be like that. Because you don't know who will accept the gospel of Christ. You don't know. And you've got to be open to offering the gospel to anybody who gives you the opportunity. You just, that's how we must be. And the account of the conversion of Cornelius certainly emphasizes that. I'm so glad you're here this morning. And I love to study the conversion examples. And every time I do, I learn things I haven't seen before. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit gave instruction here and Peter followed through just as he, he was supposed to. And he commanded Cornelius and his house to be saved. I wonder if there's here someone who's been studying the Word of God and You've made up your mind. That's, I know that's what I must do because that's what they were commanded to do. And I want to be saved just like them. I want to be saved. I want to know when I was saved. I want to be able to point to the scriptures and say, I'm saved like that. And you can. By repentance and confession and baptism based on your faith and belief that Jesus is the Son of God. You can. 
we'll be so glad to help you and, and you just be a Christian. You'll be added to the church, the body of Christ, the sphere of the saved. If you are a Christian already, but you need to have the prayers of the church today, we'd be so glad to do that with you. We're going to sing a song of encouragement, and if you'd like to respond, come as we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.